so much to praise him for, you see. He's been so good to me. of the day it'll be grace 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 it's just God's grace to us amen why wouldn't we love him why wouldn't we want to praise him amen we're gonna go to the word right away just one more prayer request this is from our sister Susan let's please pray for my niece in the Philistine in the Philistines my <laughs> I've been reading the Bible too much <laughs> Does that country still exists <laughs> the Philippines. Her name is Davy Marinette. She is a believer. There's a baby outside of her womb, and they have to chart it. I told her we would pray. Her faith is strong. We believe God can do all things and will bring the body to its right place. I believe God already did something, it did everything for us. He did. He did everything. We have believers in, in our midst that can testify of the same situation and God granted them a child, healthy, living in our midst today. We're going to turn to the Word. Let's just bow together. If you have a need and you just want to be remembered, you want to raise your hand. Heavenly Father, we raise our hands. My hands are raised. Lord, we lift them to you, our King and our God our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Healer, our everything. Lord, knowing that you are the infinite God, there is nothing beyond you. We look from human eyes with human limitations, but Lord, you are infinite, and all things are possible to them that believe. Father, we come tonight. We remember this need. Sister Susan has penned out for this believer. Lord, we'd ask, Father, that the God that once did something for someone else, if we could look to that, Lord, we believe you can do it again. And we're asking you, Lord, on behalf of this sister, that you will bring everything to order in her body, that you who made the body will correct the disorder, you will bring it into order, and Lord, that you would bring this child to, to fruition. Lord, we, we believe you, we trust in you. You've already done it. And we're believers, Lord. We believe you. We bind together and we ask it tonight. Father, as many hands were raised, many needs in our midst, but Lord, we're believers. We've come together tonight. Lord, not just to talk about the Word or talk about a historical God, but a living God. A God who can bring faith tonight, Lord, for every situation. Father, you are the Word and you declare yourself to each and every one. We want to invite you, Lord. Forgive us our shortcomings. Overshadow us tonight, Lord. And may as we open the Bible that you would come and speak to us. Look beyond the human vessel, the human frame. Lord, beyond our natural ear hearing. And may the spirit of revelation be upon us. Lord, you know every need, every situation. We give ourselves to you. And we ask now you'd have your way in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to the musicians. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Good to be in the house of the Lord again. We uh, appreciate the Spirit of the Lord that was with us on the weekend. We thank God that He is still the one that walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He held the messengers in his hand and he holds us in his hand and we thank God for the ministry that he uses and we appreciate the Lord using our brother Aaron this weekend and uh, I, I just trust that we can when we say thank God for opening the book friends we are hearing we are hearing things that past ages have not heard and not just naturally but it's unfolding to our hearts Whatever picture I had of God when I first was saved has been expanded, has been, been expounded in my heart, not just in my head, in my heart. And I love Him more today than I've ever loved Him. 
He means more today. Hebrews chapter 6, if we would start the reading from verse 7. We've been drawing from the book of Hebrews. We're going to do that again tonight. You know what? I put the wrong one down for the wrong phrase. Let me just see if I've got... Okay, we're going to find it here. Just bear with me. I wrote something right here somewhere. Go with me for, to Hebrews chapter 10, if you wouldn't mind. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in the which after you were illuminated, you endured a great flight, a fight of afflictions, partly while you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you, while you became companions of them that were so used. Now, Paul is writing this. If you lived in the time of Paul, Paul was not esteemed highly by the church world. In fact, he was despised, he was looked on, and to associate with Paul meant that you were, you were garnering yourself in a camp that was despised. But Paul is identifying his afflictions with, with he says, an illumination that happened. So now in verse 35, he says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now, if I can just find the other place, I want to take it, it's actually, it's Hebrews chapter 8. I apologize, I, I wrote that wrong, wrong, Brother Dan. We're going to take it from verse 7. Paul begins to speak now, he's talking, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But finding fault with them, he said, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. In other words, we can come and say, which church do you go to? This church. Oh, they believe that. You must believe what the church believes. No, we believe what God has imparted to our hearts. We're not, we, don't have, we have a standard, a doctrine, but the reality of the doctrine can only be made real by revelation. And only God can do that. Verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. God bless his word, you may have your seats. I would like to speak tonight on the amplified covenant. And if I can use the word amplify, it means to increase in volume. You ever pull up beside a vehicle and they have amplifiers in their vehicle and they're playing something you don't like, even so much that when you roll up your windows, your car is still shaking? That's to amplify. Now, that's not the kind of amplification. We're not just trying to amplify in volume, but we want to ampli amplify in, in, and expound in a greater way. It also says amplitude is to amplify or a more marked or intense personification of. 
In other words, to enlarge, the root word is to enlarge or to expand or to bring to a greater realization. So we have a covenant, an amplified covenant that I want to just expound on. God has always been God. Of his kingdom, the Bible says there will be no end. He is the great eternal being beyond all human comprehension. He was Elohim, the self-existing one. God, he wasn't even known as God. There's no theologian, there's no Bible scholar that ever used the language that was used by God's prophet in this last day. He was Elohim, self-existing one, and before that he was not known as God, for God is an object of worship. So as Elohim, self-existing object of worship, he created angels and seraphims and cherubims, and they began to worship him, and he began to be known as God. He also created man, and cre- well, he created creation, and creation all speaks to the glory of God. We took that in a subject here about a week and a half ago about the rise of the king of glory, and how all of creation is there for his pleasure, and for his glory, and, and to, so that we may worship him and recognize him to be God. And so he was known in that manner. Now man was finite And in a finite being could not comprehend the fullness of the eternal God. So God, and in the beginning, man was created in the image of God in Genesis 1. And Adam had the mind of God. So he would understand the nature of God. He He would have faith in God. But yet his earthly frame, Genesis 2, the flesh man that he walked in, limited his ability to comprehend the, and fathom the glory and the greatness of God. It also limited him in, in, in the senses there was things that were reserved for Adam in, the, in, in, in Eden. There was two trees in the Garden of Eden. There was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then there was a tree of life. And the prophet would expound on that and say, these trees really represented people. And Adam had a right to the tree of life. Adam would have come to that tree of life. It was reserved for him in a certain time, in a certain season, that he could come and be a partaker of the tree of life. Now there was also a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that tree was also representative of a person. And they were told under a commandment not to partake of that tree. Now Adam, because he had the mind of God, he, he, he could recognize that it wasn't that way, but out of him came a byproduct Adam could not fall. Adam could not be deceived. But a byproduct was created that could be deceived. Now, we're not going to major on that tonight. But as we, we think on this God and, and, and the aspect of glory that was, was of him, the angels could comprehend it. They could only bow in his presence and glorify him. But it would only be known through the unfolding of time the great eternal purpose that God had in his mind. So he would, that he would project more of his glory through time into his relationship with man. Let me read something to you that Brother Branham would take out of the church age book. And this is in the Ephesian church age. And he talks about the two trees in the Garden of Eden. He said they must have had a part in the sovereign plan and purpose of God in their relationship to mankind and to himself, or we could never impute omnimissions unto God. He planted those trees there for a reason. So he says, Now the word of God most definitely sets forth that before the foundation of the earth, the purpose of God was to share his eternal life with man. So God had a purpose, and you can read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him, who, Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now I'm going to spend a little time that I wish that would have gone off when I was hitting my climax, because it would have been more effective than right now. But we'll, 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 uh, we'll assume somebody knows that their car is honking or beeping and we're, we're, they're trying to figure it out. Okay, good. 
So, can't believe that the devil would get into mechanical devices like that. According as he has chosen us, that we should... Now, now just, just, just reflect on this. this I, I need to just share a couple things and just move slowly with, with the thought as I, I come to it. But he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So God always was God, but there was nobody there to declare the greatness or the the glory of God. The angels could declare that glory in part, the cherubims in part, but yet there was hidden part to all of God's plan, and it was known in his will and in his purpose, and it always was there. But it's unfolded right down to us in this last age. Now let me take a couple of scriptures. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. If you take this scripture, and and this is now working to where Paul is speaking in Hebrews, but it says... Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Okay? So godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. How? By Jesus Christ. Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So the godliness had a part in a vessel of Jesus Christ, but there's another part that was yet to be expressed. Now, let's just go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 18. I'm trying to move quickly so I can get to the part I want to get to. I I, I don't mean to yell or or, or do that, but just, just stay with me. The Bible says now, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. So there was an expression of God that could not be fully known until Jesus Christ was manifest. So it was a furtherance of the declaration of God, or if I can say God becoming God in a greater way. And only Jesus Christ could do that. And Brother Branham would preach a message, the, master, the masterpiece, and he would say how Moses expressed a part of that. David expressed a part of that. And it was all building to an image, and when Jesus came, he stepped into that image. So it was God declaring his nature in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and declares it, and then after Jesus declares it, there's still a becoming of God. There's still more of God to be known or to be made known. So let's go to Revelations chapter 1, verse 8. This this also declares an aspect of this. And it would say this in in verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega. This is John on the Isle of Patmos. The beginning and the ending. The Lord, which is. So which is. He's, He's right now. And then he says, and which was. And which is to come, the Almighty. So he, he always was. He had declared himself. He now is. And there will be more of a declaration of him through seven church ages. So this was God becoming God to who? To his subjects. To his people. So it was a process that could only be played out by time, by situation, by events, that would declare the attributes or the glory of his being. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So God would write his first Bible in the heavens, in the stars, in the solar systems, which mankind, you know, in ages past, saw in a very limited fashion. But now, under the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they're, they're seeing further than they've ever seen before. They're seeing aspects of the solar system that are, are so great and mighty. But that, that was part of God's first Bible. 
And in the Bible, there were stars arranged in a certain way, and that's not the purpose of this, but it was called the zodiac. And the zodiac was representative of certain ages and certain things. There was Leo the lion. There was, there, 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 there was, there was different aspects of this whole creation that was written there. And then God took a man on the, on the earth one time, a man named Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and, and he began to inspire him to build a pyramid. And he built a pyramid, and on the pyramid on the outside, there was, it was so perfect, it was so inspired, it was so directed, and yet inside there was another glory. That was God's second Bible. And then last of all was God's written word. So now I, I, I brought all of this as just a little bit of background but it, it, there's no book like it. God took 40 different authors, 66 different books, brought them all together to become the infallible Word of God. Heavens and earth will, fa- will fail, but my Word will never fail. Not one jot or tittle. So in other words, God was not in just the Word that was printed, but He was in the inspiration He was behind those men. He was behind every one of them. And if God could inspire them at the outset, then God could also see that word that was put onto paper with a thought, with the mind of God, could also be projected back into the hearts of a people. That they could have an ultimate faith in an age where there was an ultimate unbelief and degradation. That we could rest our souls on it. That we could stand in the midst of it all and say, this world is a lie. God's word is truth. So this book was comprised of two testaments. An Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament declared one glory. But the New Testament declared another glory. It's not a book of man, Brother Branham would say. For a book of man, who would write a story and tell of all of their bad side, their, their, the, the, the lies they told, the adulteries they committed? Who would write a book of that? But it's a, not a book of man, it's a book of God. So it, it recorded all deeds, both good and bad. It recorded fallen man, and it recorded sinful nature. It record, recorded also God's dealing with sin. But Paul, now here, coming to where we were in the book of Hebrews, he has an experience on the road to Damascus. And the Spirit of God, he, here's a man who was studious in this word, who had studied it, who knew it, and yet in all his zeal, when the word became flesh, he, he, he couldn't recognize it, and in fact, when it became through the Spirit into the body, he persecuted it. Because his understanding was based on, not on revelation, but on the learning of man. And now, if it tells us one thing, friends, don't depend on your your peanut brain. Depend only on the Lord. Paul, as studious as he was in the Bible, as zealous as he was, the Pharisee of Pharisees, became an apostle. Became one that was born out of season became the first star in the hands of God, became the alpha part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, no matter where Paul came from, the purpose of God was greater than all that Paul was. So even the first messenger was an amplification of the past. In other words, the new covenant messengers... And really, if you, you want to take it, the whole, the whole uh, scene really started when John the Baptist came. John, coming out of the lineage of the priesthood, but yet he didn't take the name of his father. He went out into the wilderness, God beginning to declare that he was going to do something different. And even the very birth of John was linked with the birth of Jesus Christ. He was that forerunner. He was a dispensational messenger. His duty was too important. So John, if we just take this just as a snapshot, had a six-month ministry. 
That six-month ministry was immediately followed by a three-year, six-month ministry of Jesus Christ. And then, just think about it. Here was 4,000 years of history. Here's this four-year cycle of the messenger and then the messenger of the covenant, if I can call it that way. And then there's this another 2,000 years plus that has to run behind. But this was a key point. And it was so key that, that when it happened, the Jews didn't recognize it. They were blinded to it, in fact. And, and yet Paul would come and he himself had to be blinded. And God had to open his eyes. Now, not only naturally speaking, but spiritually speaking. So now Paul would take and he would begin to pen some of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. Paul would begin to, to take in his ministry, if I can call it, as a star in the hand of Jesus, and begin to write scriptures. And if you begin to think of where these scriptures were written, Paul, by needs, had to go to Rome because it was in a Roman prison that we would have to write, what shall separate us from the love of God? How would he write those words if, if he was still decked on a silk thing? And how could he write those words except there wasn't something in his own life that brought it out in a greater way? So I'm, I'm really trying to focus on, on the amplification of the covenant. Listen, John the Baptist should have never come. He was dead in the womb. But who came? God came. Mary was a virgin. There was no way she could do it. But who came? God came. And, and, and it was all at the right season, at the right time. Just, just let me hold that for just a little bit. Let's just go to Ephesians chapter 1 now. I'm, I'm trying to bring this to, to something that I'll likely carry over, but in Ephesians chapter 1 now, Paul, he's writing, and let's just pick this up in verse 9. He's, he's going literally into things that nobody had ever gone into before. He says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now there's a will of God. You know, even, even the Bible would teach us in Matthew chapter 6 and how to pray. And every once in a while when I feel like I'm just crying to God and I got this need and I feel like I'm crying, I, I just start to repeat these words. And I say, after this manner, therefore pray ye our Father which art in heaven. And immediately it, it changes my focus. Yes, he's God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Why? Because there's no greater will. You tell me, any king, any sovereign, that, especially that of God, that would create an earth, would create everything, and suddenly it's run amok and he can't control it? No way. He's God. He's got everything in his control. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows what's happening in our life. Your will be done. And he would, he would say, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, you've got a plan. And Lord, your plan is for my benefit. It's for your glory. You're going to work it out. I don't understand it. Lord, all these things in my life, your will overrides it all. It supersedes it all. I don't care how many political leaders rise with, with different programs and rights. I just shared with some of the brothers, Calgary City Council now passed what they call gay conversion therapy. You know, I, when I first heard that, St. Albert was the first to First municipality in Canada do it. And then Edmonton did it. And such and such did it. And I thought, wow, that's great. Stop people from becoming gays. It's actually the other way around. If they're gays, you've got to stop from trying to convert them. And it actually has wording in the Calgary Declaration 
to use any type of spiritual interaction. I'm not using the word correctly. But it has any type of spiritual interaction would be against the law and subject to fine and imprisonment. Now you tell about a Sodom law. There's a Sodom law for you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forget us our, our, our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's how it concludes. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Long after the glories of this earth are past, the glory of God will continue and continue and continue and continue. So God is a creator. He had a purpose. He had a plan. And he can execute that plan. He has a perfect will and a desire. There's no king like him. You know, there's no devil that can come and interrupt his perfect will. Only God could allow it. That was proven when the devil wanted to have his way with Job. And, and he comes and he has to ask permission to lay his hand on Job. So that ought to tell the devil something right there. You're such a sissy. You think you're so much. You have to ask God for everything you can do. He doesn't like to be under authority. But I, we love it. Why? Because there's only one sovereign. There's only one king. And, and now just think about it. That God, back then, allowed the devil, and the devil thinks, oh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy Job. And, and if he'd only knew, known that the end result was that Job was going to be double blessed, he wouldn't have done a thing. If the devil only would have known that by, by persecuting all the two-year-old babies or all the young children in Egypt would allow Pharaoh to raise Moses in his own court, he never would have done it. If the devil only would have known to loose, to loose all these devils in this last age would bring a seed up to fruition in us, he wouldn't have done it. Thank the Lord he allowed a few catfish in the pond. If you remember where that was. So Ephesians, just back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verse 10. Sorry, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. That, that's a whole message. Itself. According to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Now, God didn't call down all the angels and say, listen, you know, what do, what do you think we should do here? This is what I think. Let's have a vote on this. No, he just took a vote with himself. Me, myself, and I, we voted. This is what it's going to be. Who's going to tell him different? He purposed it in himself. Who can, he is in one mind, Job said. Who can come against him? Who can declare him? And, and yet if he was an evil God, we would all rebel. But he isn't an evil God. He is a glorious God. He's a good God. He wants the best for us. His purpose will never be defeated. He will be God. He was God then. He was God in the middle of the Bible. He'll be God at the end. Chapter, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. These, every one of these verses could be sermons in themselves. His purpose will never be de defeated. What started out in the Garden of Eden, and it looked like God had it all, and it looked like Satan came and marred it, and man fell. There's 4,000 years. Here comes Jesus in the middle. And he comes and it looks like he even is defeated in his earthly purpose. But if the devil only knew that him going to the cross, spilling his blood, was going to pave the way for many other sons and daughters, he never would have done it. And, and through a period of time at the end, God would gather together all that are his. Nobody's going to stop him. He's God. 
So in verse 11, he says, Now in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. I'll tell you what. Whatever you gain on this earth. It was just, what was it, two weeks ago? A big basketball star worth $500 million, 41-year-old, everyone, everything to live for, gone. Today, I heard just a news clip, some Hollywood legend lived to be 103, full life. What's he got now? Just 100 years. What now? And friends, we can live whatever space we've been given. This little time. And then there's an infinite inheritance. If, oh, it's beyond comprehension. We have obtained an inheritance. I'll tell you what. The Bible says you just give a glass of cold water and there's a reward attached to it. You give a compliment. You encourage someone. There's a reward attached to it. Not because of what you did, but because of what God purposed in you, what he's doing through you, will come back on you. It's you yielding, God doing it, and he rewards you. Why wouldn't you want to do it? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. In whom we have obtained inheritance, being predestinated... According to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. There it is again. Who's, who's doing this? Is, is, this a, is this the devil that's got control? No. The Bible says he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You know, I, I just was, I, I've been a brother had indicated to me a, on a biography of Luther, and I'd just been reading it. You know, we, we take things, like Luther just came and said, the just shall live by faith. When you go into the details of it, Luther, what he came out of, how he was in the, in the monk, and, and, and how he was bound by that system, and yet something, how the events that transpired. Did you know that, that today you can go to the Vatican and, and, and you look at St. Peter's Basilica, it actually started to be built in the time of Luther. At the same time, God was about to, re, to build and to restore, starting with the reformers, through justification. So the devil was building something there, but God was starting to build something. And so because the Catholic Church wanted to build it, they had what they called indulgences. They'd sell special gifts to get people out of purgatory, and they would do all of this to raise money for the, te for the temple. Luther lived in a place where, where there's this, this man came, he was a priest called Tetzel, and he sold indulgence. It so stirred up Luther that he couldn't take it. Now you think the devil was having his way because of all this. In fact, it was stirring something up in God's seed. Don't think for a moment the devil's in control. God's in control. The covenant is only amplified. Who, who worked it out that he came this way? And then there was a monarch that Luther was under in, 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 in the county of Saxon, uh, Saxony in Germany who didn't want anything to do with that guy and who protected Luther, probably from certain death. And at the time when Luther took his famous, here I stand. You know, this is exactly almost 500 years ago. That, that coming up in 2021, that's the time that Luther nailed his thesis to the wall. And they actually say, it wasn't even that he nailed it. He gave it to somebody who maybe pasted it on. It was done so simply. And then there's Wesley. Here's Wesley sitting there. And, and, and he's, he's with Moravians. He's over here. He's comes, and he comes into a meeting. And he said, my heart was strangely warmed. God works in such simplicity. Friends, Everything's working for good in our lives. You might think everything's wrong. I'll tell you, Brother Aaron was ministering on Sunday morning, and we were just like hanging from the rafters. And then he preached Sunday night, and we were all like, oh, God, I failed you. I messed up. No matter how much you mess up, no matter what you do wrong, God's greater than all of that. God's purpose will never be defeated. 
His purpose is greater than your problem. His destiny is greater than your dilemma. His foreknowledge is greater than your failure. Who's going to tell him what to do differently? God in Revelations chapter 13 verse 8. Can you just put that up, Brother Dan? Revelations 13 verse 8. Before the foundation of the world, he had a book in his mind. And it says, all that dwell on the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. That was God's purpose from the, from the foundation of the world. There would come a certain group of people that could not buy into what was happening in this day, that could not go with the denominational religious moves, that couldn't do these things. How did that happen? Because God determined it to be so. I don't know what those angels did in heaven. Luther, uh, Lucifer would call and tell such a tale that he would convince two-thirds of them to come with him. But there was a certain group of angels. Maybe they were around the water cooler one day and they started talking and go, hmm, that doesn't sound right. Sorry for making it too carnal if it is. But just think about how the devil comes to you. Sometimes just somebody comes and talking and telling you, no, 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 no. It's this way. Something doesn't sound right. Who put that in you? The Holy Ghost in you. The Bible says we know not to pray as we ought, but the Holy Ghost in you with groanings that can't be uttered, you can't explain it. Thank God for that. That's the new covenant. <laughs> it's not based on smarts. That's why he called me. I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at me. Because I didn't really know anything. But thank God there was a seed. <laughs> that same God could say in John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost. Now just think about it. A guy like Peter, the fisherman, walking, putting off his mouth. Yeah, I kept him. I kept this tax collector. I kept this one. No matter where they came from, where they're going, they were ordained. Why? Because in the book of Revelations, there was 24 elders. 12 of them would be apostles. 12 of them would be representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They would be there judging. God had determined it. Who was going to change God's mind? Nobody. And when God said there would be a bride, who's going to change his mind? Nobody. What kind of problem? What kind of situation? The covenant only gets amplified as the world gets worse. As our problems get worse. How will we be there? Because God said so. He's sovereign. Who's going to tell him how to run his show? You take a list of your life. Write down all of your good points, achievements, and ask yourself this question. Which of those achievements qualifies you to get into heaven? None. Now, on the other hand, write down a list of all your failures. Which one of those will stop you from getting into heaven? None of them. Not one of them. Because God is God. That's his covenant. The devil's a liar. There was one part of me that said, I could have been so much better in a position of a father and a headship. But there's another part that says, by my failures, I'll be better. Hey, God that created the universe has always got to be a positive and a negative. You take the current and electrical line, it's not all positive. It's positive, it's negative. It amplifies back and forth, positive, negative. There's a sign. There's a circle. We can't live on the mountain. We have to go into the valley. Why? That we can go higher. Listen, God that chose David, a man after his own heart, he allowed David, I, I won't say he allowed David, but David committed adultery. I, I'll tell you, I don't think that was gave God pleasure. But God allowed that to happen because he knew the next part. That David would pen Psalms 
51. And he would begin to declare, I was born in iniquity. I was shaped in sin. And he knew that down the road, somewhere, somebody would read that scripture. And they would take heart when they failed, when they came short. And God would amplify that and use it for his glory. He would also use it to protect us from going down that road. That same God also purposed that they will come from David as another son to follow him. And out of that relationship with Bathsheba, there was another child born named Solomon. Now I'll tell you who can declare that God can change his mind. It was God's purpose. You think your failures will stop you from getting in? They're only going to amplify the grace covenant that God's made with man. You talk about a headstone coming. Not with just the kai, oh, grace. No. Grace. 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 You talk about what Paul said to, to trust in the end, for the grace that is to appear to you at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about God working everything for your will. Let me, let me just share this. Brother Brown would make this scripture, or make this statement, and he would say, part of God's eternal and predestinated purpose, the plan was going to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. It was a plan of redemption, it was a plan of salvation, that which the angels couldn't see. That which, when the Garden of Eden, it looked like Satan had broken down, but God began to now orchestrate that plan. The, Adam, the covenant that he made with, with Adam in the Garden of Eden was, you don't do this, you don't do that. That was based on man being a free moral agent. Man as a free moral agent couldn't keep that covenant. So God says, I'm going to make another covenant. And he would begin to do that with Abraham. And in Abraham, you can read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. He says, I, I'm the Lord God. I'll, he calls him out. Brother Dan, just put it up. Get you out of your country, out of your kindred, out of your father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Verse 2, he says, I will make of thee a great nation. Now, he didn't say, if you obey me, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Who's going to stop it? Even Abraham's failures could not stop it. It was the beginning of a new covenant that he was going to show through the Old Testament. Now, we read the Old Testament. You know, Abraham never did that. He lied. He didn't do any of that. He, he, you know, look at what Sarah did. She disbelieved. Look at how she brought Hagar into the picture. And look at how Ishmael came. I mean, you what, what a mess. And God says, no, I, I got this. It's all under control. I, I'm, I'm not going to stop this from hindering my purpose. And now under the inspiration, Paul comes over in the New Testament and he reads that account. And now he's reading not through the, the, uh, the, a scribe or a, or a Pharisee that had learned the scriptures, but under the inspiration of God. He reads it. He says, Abraham, he didn't, he didn't stumble. He, he, didn't, he didn't at all in any way stagger at the promise. And even Sarah. Why? What's he seeing? He's seeing Christ in the whole picture. <laughs> A sovereign God. I'm glad he's in control. I'll tell you what, when this is all written and done, I don't believe there's going to be any preacher. I don't believe there's going to be any man that's going to stand up there in between you and God. We'll all be on our knees. We'll all be worshiping the King of glory. We'll all be praising Him. Why? It's Him in us that worketh all things to our good. I look at, I'm just trying to get to the couple of things that I had. I had many other scriptures, but 
Ephesians would say in verse 1, and I'm just, just going back to it in verse 9, but it says, or verse, verse 11, He worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. So it's not that He has a will, but He also enacts the will. And He makes the purpose come. Now even when Jesus came on earth, it was so ordained by God that Mary happened to be seeing a man named Joseph. And, that an, and, and Brother Brandon would talk about this in Mary's belief and different ones, how, how they would come and discuss their future plans, they're, they're engaged, and then how one day she came to him and said, an angel appeared to me, told me I'm going to have a son. And, and Joseph tried so hard to believe that. And you know, Joseph being a just man, he was minded to put her away. But somewhere in heaven, there was God. And he said, I see what Joseph's going to do. Gabriel, you go down there. You talk to him. Maybe, maybe he sent him a vision. He sent him a dream. And he went down and the dream began to be real to Joseph. And he said, fear not to put away Mary, thy wife, for that which was conceived. So who is working all things? And while he's working that, there's a Herod rising up who says, I'm going to put a new carbon tax in. And everybody's, sorry, did I say that? How did that slipped out? That was my inside voice. So I'm going to put a new tax in, and I'm going to send everybody to their home country. So who's, who's running the show here? And it looked like God had this, he had to come from heaven, he had to come and work down here, he had to come and work down here, but it was all working according to his plan. <laughs> he says this. Listen closely. God being a savior. It was necessary that he could predestinate a man. Now in Ephesians it says, predestinated in him unto an inheritance. But here is the amplification on it. He says, predestinate a man who would require salvation. <laughs> For what purpose? In order that God would have reason, himself would have reason and purpose of being. In him, I wanted to be a healer. In him, I want to save my people from their sins. In him, I want to fix their problems. In him is the answer to all we have need of. Listen, religion isn't about how good you can be. That's a byproduct of having a life lived with God. That comes as a result of walking with God. That comes out of repentance. Your repentance doesn't qualify you for some entitlement. But just to have fellowship with Him. To have Him inject Himself. That changes the dynamic. Paul Harvey would be famous for writing and, and telling a story in such a way. He would start it. He was famous for being known as such and such happened. And now, after this commercial break, I'll come, you back, come back for the rest of the story. I guarantee you, not too many people turned off the radio without hearing the rest of the story. Because, I'll tell you what, the devil doesn't want you to hear the rest of the story. The devil doesn't want you to hear what God still has in plan for you. The devil doesn't want you. The Bible says, be patient, wait on the Lord, and he will make it known to you. The devil wants you to run, wants you to hide, wants you to work your own salvation. But God wants to deliver you. The God that delivered the Hebrew children is the God that wants to amplify himself to you. We read from the, New Test the Old Testament. Abraham lied. Hey, Isaac did the same thing. It's a family trait. But guess what? The same God that helped Abraham helped Isaac. Because there was a greater family trait, the seed of Abraham. Brother Branham would say this. There is a perfect will of God and there is a permissive will of God. 
He talks this in, in a number of different scriptures, but he talks about it from the very beginning of the message. If the people won't walk in his perfect will, he will let them have a permissive will, and you can walk in it. And he says, he would bring up the story of Balaam. God comes to Balaam, and this is in a message, does God ever change his mind about his word? 1965, in April 18th, and he begins to speak on this. And he says, Balaam came to God. He wanted an answer because Balak had hired him to curse the children of Israel, and God tells him, don't curse them. And so Balak, you know, he just goes back, and, and it looks like he did the right thing. It looks like he goes back, and he tells him, listen, I can't curse them. God told me this, and he says, just wait another night. <laughs> I think once you know the will of God, shut that thing off and get going. But you know what? And this, this is an extreme example, but in our flesh, we've done that sometimes. We've lingered a little too long. I was talking to a brother, and we were just sharing something just about how we need to safeguard our lives. Brother Branham put a cross up in his car. And we think, oh, that's just a symbol. It's a crucifix. He says, no, the angel of the Lord told me to do it. He said, because you were looking a little too long. Huh? The prophet? The prophet. And now, what about us? And we say, Lord, protect me. God can give you a level of protection I can tell you right now in my life, there's a lot of things I got into I wish I never would have. But I can point back to certain situations where I should have gotten into it, but something stopped me. I'll tell you what, I had a mother who would not let go for me. I would be out at a party. I was having a great time with everybody. It was going strong, you know, and people were coming. It was this. And all of a sudden, inexplicably, it stopped. Everybody left. I'm going... That's a drag. <laughs> I guess I better go home. Got home about 2.30. Here's my mom in the living room praying. He says, I woke up and you weren't home. About half an hour ago, I started praying. The party broke up right about that time. You talk about God putting people in your lives. Sometimes somebody gives me a call and I say, Lord, is that you? Somebody drops a quote, shares some. Is that you? He worketh all things. He's trying to bring us into his perfect will. We don't always walk in it. Brother Bannon would say, even of himself. There's a way that God wants to operate this gift. Now, I, this is just his permissive will this way. He was talking about a miracle line. He says, I have to beg and pray and cry before he comes, and it forces me into it. But when he says, but when I see a vision, and it's him working, and it's God's perfect will, he just moves in, and it's not me. And I'm out for two hours. It sends me to different parts of the country and different places, and every time it's perfect. And he says, you know, call out diseases, and he says, but he says, how often he walked in the permissive will of God. But then he says, like the time he was in, in South Africa, and, and he wasn't supposed to go there, he was supposed to go to India first, and he says, and he tells all the brethren, he said, thus saith the Lord, God told me to go ahead with you, but it's his permissive will, and it'll never be successful. God told Brother Branham to walk in his permissive will, Paul was on a ship one time, and he says, tells the shipmaster, don't go. I perceive that there's going to be a lot of trouble ahead in this journey. <laughs> Who are you? What's your sailing experience? Show me your nautical charts. No, no, God told me. <laughs> Dismisses him. What happened? They get into a storm. God's permissive will. But in the middle of the storm... Because God had a purpose. He was going to bring Paul to Rome. Paul had to write the scripture. He had to write, he had to be there. Because God had already told him. Friends, when God comes and he declares something, it's got to be that way. 
And, 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 and Paul, I don't know if it was in a vision, but he says, don't worry, Paul. You've got to appear before Rome. I believe in the middle of that ship, Paul was in the middle of that ship, and he's going, I know God told me I've got to be there. These waves are awful big. This is looking really terrible. But he keeps praying. He keeps praying. And an angel appears and says, Paul, don't worry. There won't be one life lost. And Paul, in the middle of all of it, comes on the ship. Don't worry, guys. Not a single life will be lost. And the, and the ship captain goes, oh, there's that nautical guy again. Like, doesn't he see? He says, no. And he says, abandon ship. No, no, no. You've got to stay in the ship. <laughs> oh, if, if God is in the ship, his purpose is in the ship, you don't have to worry. They might lay off everybody around you. But if God has a place for you, you're safe. And if they lay you off, God's got another place. Why? Because you'll be there. God promised he'll be there. I've thought of this. God is a sovereign God. He sees the end from the beginning. And here's one time Moses going down the road. He's going to Egypt to take over. And God was angry with him. Now, why would God get angry? It's not just because he, he lost his temper. But he was expressing his displeasure to his servant for correction, for learning. And when Moses didn't do it, he even got Zipporah. And Zipporah caught it and says, you didn't circumcise your own son. You're a bloody husband. My, how'd you like to have an associate pastor like that? That's what Brother Aaron said. Your wife's an associate pastor in the house. <laughs> okay. Listen to the tape. You'll hear it's on there. <laughs> I'll tell you. Why does God do that? You think God was, had pleasure when, when David took Bathsheba? No, I don't believe so. He wasn't pleased with Balaam. And Balaam, finally, Balaam begged God so much. God said, go ahead and do it. You can have it. I'll bless you. You'll have prophecy and everything. And he prophesied. Except it didn't come out the way he thought. It came out to glorify God, to glorify his, to fit God's purpose. And yet that wasn't the end. That's a whole message in itself. I won't, won't go any further. Friends, and I got to wind down. I got to stop here. But even Jesus Christ, when he came on earth, let's, let's finish with this scripture. Let's go to, I didn't write this down, Brother Dan. So John chapter 7. This is, verses, this is verses 1 to 8. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill them. Now, do you think he was scared of the Jews? No. Well, let's keep reading. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples may also see the works that thou doest. And he said, There is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Now this is his own brethren, his own relatives. For neither did his brethren believe him. Now here's Jesus. Now he answers this situation. Okay? Verse 6. And Jesus said unto him, My time... Is not yet come. This is, I, I didn't get into this part of it, but there's a timing of God. He says, But your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So now he, he's telling them, There'll come a time will hate you when the Spirit of God comes in you. Because there's a spirit in the children of disobedience and there's a spirit in the sons of God. Now he says, you go up to this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast for my time is not yet full come. Now it was at hand, but it hadn't fully come. So he's, he's waiting until it comes into place. Who God worketh all things by the counsel of his own will. 
He actually, now if you just take the same scripture, he tells them, go into an upper room, he tells his disciples, and you wait there. And the Bible says the day of Pentecost was not fully come. It had come, but it had not fully come. God has come, but it's still not the fullness of the rapture. But we're there. The cycle of things is spinning. It's going faster and faster. God's in control. He's working it all out. He's amplifying his, his will, his covenant with his people. I don't think I really even touched on this the way I wanted to, but I guess I just wanted to encourage you. This is not just teaching about the covenant over there, but it's the covenant that you hold with you. Today, when you go to work, when you have issues, when the devil comes to discourage you, if you would have done this better, you wouldn't have these problems. When he comes, God knows about that. God knows about all these things. God knew about David. He knows everything. And he can take care of it. He's got a redemptive plan. Take courage. Don't let the liar tell you anything. God's got it all in control. Let's stop there. Let's have the musicians come. (coughs) We thank God. He's got it all in control. Nothing can stop him. We're going to have to leave some of this off, but that's fine. I felt like I delivered my heart in some respects. (coughs) Oh, thank the Lord. Let's stand together. Greater than all. His purpose is greater than your problems. His destiny is greater than your dilemma. His foreknowledge is greater than your faith. Or your faith. Greater than your failure. Years ago, Brother Mano preached a service. The purpose is greater than you. What God has foreordained when he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. What Paul expressed to the Hebrews. What he expressed in the Ephesians. He's predestinated you unto good works. He's predestinated you to an inheritance. Not just over there, but in this life. He's given us brothers. He's given us sisters. He's given us the family of God. You're you're with the best people in the city of Edmonton. There's others too. But you're with the best group. Go to the hockey game. Is there somebody you can actually put your arms with and fellowship like you can here? You can't do it. You might rejoice because a little rubber puck went into the net. You might rejoice more because they beat the rivals. But I'll tell you what. It's so short-lived. All the great people of the world don't have anything compared to what we've got. He's got it all. He's given us everything. So I just tell you, whatever the discouragement the devil throws at you, just remember this. His covenant is going to be amplified in my trouble. It's going to be amplified in the trial. Did God diminish through Job's trial or did he amplify himself? He amplified himself. You might go through some hard seasons, but only God will only get sweeter, richer, better. You'll only know Him in a greater way. Oh, there's going to be something good at the end of this. I know it. Why? Because He's already said so. Let's sing, Greater Than All. Greater than all my sin is the blood that still It's the grace that still sets me.